The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. His name is Mark. They both start with an M, right? So <laughs> thank you for your grace in that. I invite your attention this morning to, uh, if I get my microphone situated here, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Our uh, sermon title today is called The Great Humiliation. Uh, sounds like uh, something that happened in a bad way, but we'll go over that today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we, as always, say this, that on page 981 in the Pew Bibles, You'll find uh, Philippians. If you do not have a Bible, uh, feel free to take the Pew Bible with you as a gift from us to you as a uh, just a way to say thank you for visiting with us because we want everyone to be in God's Word. And we continue through Philippians today. Uh, you know, I, I always struggle with this because it's a tough topic in some sense, but uh, who did you want to be when you grew up? Have you ever thought about that question? Some of you have grown up and you're still wondering, who do I want to be when I grow up? But have you ever wanted to be, maybe you wanted to be your dad or your mom or uh, a mentor from school perhaps or an athlete or a superstar or some, especially kids, superheroes? You know, uh, they're bringing back all the comics these days and it seems like every year we have Spider-Man 12 or Spider-Man 13 and I've only watched the first one, that was 13 years ago, but you know, Batman keeps doing that too. But maybe a successful politician was your role model, maybe you saw... And that's hard these days. Maybe you saw someone who was honest and had integrity with their business. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was an older friend. Maybe you knew someone in school who you were that little freshman, and when everyone was making fun of you, they were the senior that came and said, no, 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 leave this freshman alone, and they won your favor. Or maybe it's just simply a family member. But we all have role models, don't we? We really do. We all have role models across the board, and whether we want to think about it or not, whether people call us a role model, people still look at our lives. Uh, role models give us a goal to shoot for. If you know someone is doing something passionately, you say, hey, I could do that. It's like those Olympic uh, divers when they dive and contort their bodies. I think, well, I could do that too if I just sign up, right? Uh, it, no, not really. It's not that easy. But the power of role models is very enormous. And uh, role models reveal what we think we are not right now, but what we hope and think we will be someday. And the distance between what we are now and what we want to be someday is the difference between defeat and triumph. And a lot of people, if you were to honestly ask them, who is your role model? They would say, Jesus Christ, wouldn't they? They would look at Jesus and say, well, Jesus is my role model. You know, and Peter, in a sense, had this question come to him in Matthew 16. That great question that Paul or Peter was asked by Jesus. He said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, he says, well, some call you Elijah or John the Baptist or the prophet or no, Peter, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? By God's grace, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the New Testament isn't silent on that. Christ is not just a role model. Christ is the model for everything that we do. And in fact, some people have tried to distort that over the years. Let me just give you some selected quotes. One from feminist Dolores Williams. She said this about Jesus Christ, the ultimate role model. 
He sa- she said, there's nothing divine in the blood of the cross. He was just simply a fake. That was from her book, Sisters in the Wilderness. Or how about Bill Phillips, or Bill Phipps, who was a moderator of the United Church of Canada in the early 2000s. He said, I don't believe Jesus was God, but I'm no theologian. And I put in my notes, parentheses, that's an understatement, and a significant understatement. But I don't believe that his body could disappear, but it simply rotted away. The tomb of Jesus wasn't empty, but it was full. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. This is the leader of a major denomination in Canada. Who do you say that I am? Well, the Bible tells us this. In John 1, it says Jesus Christ is the God of the incarnation. In Colossians 1, Jesus Christ is the God of creation. In Hebrews 1, he's the God of revelation. And today, we'll see in Philippians 2, he is the God of humiliation. Humiliation. So God's going to humiliate me. It's not where we're going with this. It's the humiliation of Christ. And we'll see that in the verses coming up. But why does it matter who Jesus said he was? In light of the Supreme Court especially, why does it matter who Jesus said he was? Who is Jesus anyway? Why should he be our role model today? And so the big idea that I want to get across to you is this. I know the screen, they're working on it, but I'll just say it a couple times for you. The extent to which you are unimpressed with the cross is the extent to which you are impressed with yourself. Think about that. The extent to which you're unimpressed with the cross is the extent to which you're impressed with yourself. When it comes to a role model, often the role models that we have are those that are Hollywood bound and they do things out of their pride and their power. But when it comes to Christ, it comes down to one word that we looked at last week. Humility, sacrifice, servanthood. Humility does not feel the right to better treatment than Jesus got. I think sometimes in America, I've felt this way, maybe you have, that because I'm a Christian, that I'm entitled to certain things. Friends, we just lost a big entitlement in this nation on Friday, didn't we? We were humbled politically. But with Christ, we are exalted eternally because he is the God above all gods. He's the only God that is there. And if we aren't known for our humility, let us pray that we know Christ better because that's where he starts out. So where we're going with this, you remember last week we talked about unity. Paul's praying for the Philippians to be unified. He knows it's true in their lives, but he's praying that they are unified around the gospel. Now he moves into the greatest role model example of what unity is all about. That is Jesus Christ. If you look at your Bibles quickly before we read it, you may see, some of you may have kind of an indentation, or it looks like it's offset in the center. looks kind of like a poem. Uh, we know this, these verses we're about to read as a hymn. It's, it's a song that the early Christians put to music, and it's a song about who Jesus is. You know that worship doesn't start just when the sermon starts, does it? It starts with the songs. And Mark, thank you for leading us in worship this morning because we exalted Christ. It's in the scripture. It's in the greeting. Everything we do in the service points back to this Christ. And we're going to see and ponder the cross of Christ today. And the second thing we're going to do is we're going to proclaim the confirmation of Jesus being Christ. That's where we're headed today. You'll stand with me. Uh, we'll read the scripture today. And I know that uh, this is six verses, very familiar to many of you, but it's a good reminder of where we need to be as far as things go. So we'll go ahead and put this up in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Reading out the New American Standard today. Paul says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider or regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or servant, or literally a slave, 
and being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. But being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him or gave him the name above, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on, on those who are in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Why does God do everything? To the glory of his name. That's why we spent, we read Isaiah 53. When we were talking about emails this week, I was, uh, Mark always asked what scripture to read, and I, I put in parentheses, it's a lot of verses from Isaiah 53. But as you heard that suffering servant in Isaiah 53, Jesus Christ just left out of the pages, didn't he? And friends, that is the great God that we serve, that even hundreds of years before, God predicted it. What we are going through today, God knows exactly what we're facing, yet he tells us to trust in the same Christ that everyone will bow to. What an amazing God we serve. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. God, we are grateful and humble today because we know that without you, we are nothing. Father, it is all about you. The hardest times in our lives are to glorify you. The greatest times in our lives are to glorify you. And everything in between, it's all for your glory. So, Father, use a sermon today, we pray, that in everything you would be lifted high. We lift this up in Jesus' name, and we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. First thing I want you to see as we go through this time is that uh, Jesus had three things happen to him, and I'll, I'll just ask Megan and them just to put these up one at a time as I go through them. We're, I, what I'm going to do is a little bit different structure than usual. I'm going to give you kind of the outline through the verses, and after an illustration, we'll look at faith lessons or, or the practical points. Uh, tried a different way this week. But as Paul starts here in verse 6, you've got to remember that he is using a hymn. He's using a solid hymn. This is why when we worship, we just don't use any songs. The worship that we use as this church reflects the God that we say we believe. Isn't that true? A lot of churches like to play Elvis and other things to attract people. But friends, it wasn't Elvis that attracted people. It was God himself who attracts people. Amen? That is what we use because the words of Scripture inform what we do. And what the words of Scripture are telling us today is that Christ shows us humility when we ponder his cross by self-denial, by self-denial. It says, being in the form of God, he was God himself. It's Christ's continuous and constant existence in the very nature of God. The Greek word there is the word morphe, or uh, metamorphosis is the word we get in English. It affirms that Jesus existed in the very nature of the very essence and the very essential being of God himself. Contrary to what people believe today, like Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Mormons, we believe that God in Jesus is fully God. Christ was not created by God the Father. He was not simply adopted by God. He was not simply a God-intoxicated man, as some people say. In his person, in his essence, in his very being, he was and is God. That's who Jesus is. Whatever it is that makes God God, Christ is all for God's glory. And the text considers, it, it goes on in verse 6. If you notice this, it says, He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be uh, robbed. The phrase makes perfect sense when you know who Jesus is. It means that his equal status and his privileges with God were not things which he violently sought out to seize, or believe that he must forcibly retain. You know, Mormons, I don't know if you know this or not, I, I'm not picking on them in a sense, but I want you to know what's out there. Mormons really believe that Jesus, the man, and Satan, the angel, had an arm wrestling match before eternity went and came to being 
and the one who won the match is the one that would go to heaven. And Satan lost that match, which is why he rebelled, they say, and Jesus won that match, which is why he came to heaven. Boy, I missed that one in there somewhere, didn't I? I really did. When it says that Christ, this word robbery or equality, it's, it's either robbing in an active sense or a prize or a thing to be gained. And I, I kind of wrote this down. I want you to hear it because I think it's best said to be clear what I'm saying. The idea seems to be that Christ is co-equal, co-eternal with God by the very nature of his being. Equality with God was not something Christ had to forcibly do as if, as if he didn't possess it or assert as if he could lose it. Jesus has always been God. We believe in one God in three persons, the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Christ did not grasp at it like Adam tried to grasp at sovereignty. You remember Adam in the garden, what he did? He tried to become like God. Satan said, you eat this and you'll be like God. He tried to do that and then sin entered the world. Christ was a divine one seeking humanity. His high and lofty position was not something he could give up for the salvation of souls. Christ did not grasp it. He gave his all. He did not climb back up. He condescended. He came down to us. And that's Christmas wrapped up in a nice little package for you. But he did it as a servant in verse 6. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Notice, secondly, he also had humility via his incarnation. His incarnation, verse 7. That word incarnation just means God with us. Isn't that the Christmas story? We believe that Jesus Christ is God with us. It says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of man. Now, it's a very debated passage. I'm going to be very honest with you. This is why verse-by-verse study is so key, because I don't just get to cherry-pick my things. You get to see it all in the raw. What this means is that Christ took the form of a servant. He became a man. He took on flesh. He enfleshed himself. Christ was made in the likeness and fashion of a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death. Christ died a cross-type death of one of ultimate humiliation. But this verse expresses the idea that there was an emptying by addition. Emptying out of something by addition. Jesus the Son didn't surrender his godness, his, his godhood, if you will. He added humanity. There are some people that will say that when Jesus came to earth, he just simply pushed God to the side and just took on the human form. Friends, that is heresy. Because if God is not in Christ, we do not have a sufficient Savior. Have you ever thought that way? He has to be fully God, 100% God, 100% man. Because if he's one less of the other, then he cannot die perfectly, satisfactorily for our sins. The humanity he had was not that of a sovereign, but that of a servant or a slave. Wow. Christ received not a crown, but what did he receive? He received a cross, a Roman cross. We must, let me just sum it up this way. Deity, divinity cannot cease to be deity or divinity. So any understanding that Jesus emptied must quickly be dismissed. If you believe that Jesus threw away his godhood when he came to earth, don't go there. Jesus did not surrender his divinity, but he did surrender his glory, didn't he? Jesus became, in a sense, if you will, God incognito as a man, though still fully God. Does that make sense? He was fully God and fully human, yet in doing so, he showed once and for all God came down to us. You know, if you were to tell a Muslim that God came down to earth, they would say blasphemy. 
you would tell a Hindu that the gods came down, the millions of gods they worshipped, they would look at you like you were crazy. If you told a Buddhist that, they wouldn't even say they believe in a god. They believe in enlightenment. Friends, we have the only belief that a god came down to save us. What an amazing god he is, that he would do that. Amen? So we see that Jesus is humble in self-denial. Verse 6, he was humble in his incarnation. He didn't throw off his, his divinity. He added on humanity. And now we see he was humble via his crucifixion. Look at verse 8. It says, being found in the appearance as a man, he, Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 8 concludes what has been called the great condescension, the coming down, if you will. Christ was in heaven. He came down to earth. He took on humanity. He became a servant. He died for our sins, and he died on a cross. Uh, you know, Cicero, one of those old Roman uh, historians, used to tell his uh, people that he ruled in Rome not to speak of, not to mention, not to write about the cross because it was so humiliating and so shameful that for a Roman to mention it was like a curse word back in the first century. Yet Jesus Christ was love come down from heaven for his glory and for you and me. And in that best sense, Jesus showed us ultimately what humility is all about. He died on a cross. But I want you to think about this. If you and I were God, we might have tried to do things a little bit differently. At least I probably would have. If I, Darren Smith, was God, and that's a scary thought, uh, if I was God, I would have probably done it this way. I would have let Christ be born in Alexandria of Egypt. There's a picture that will come up on the screen that shows the seven wonders of the world. And the seven wonders of the world are a great study itself. But all these different wonders had different things about him. I would have let Christ be born in Alexandria, Egypt, because that was the intellectual capital of the world. If God's going to come down, shouldn't he be among the smartest? Or perhaps I would have let him be born in Rome, the political and powerful capital of the world at the time, the greatest city of the time. Well, if I was God, I probably would have let him be also be born in Athens, Greece, the philosophical capital of the world. We've got to help those Greek people out too, right? And, well, what about Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the spiritual capital of the world. It's where all the people were coming to, to worship the one God. But God's plan was different for our great need, wasn't it? Our need wasn't higher or public education. It was redemption. Our need wasn't social or political change, friends. It was salvation. Our need wasn't religious head knowledge. It was spiritual transformation. And what an amazing God he is. Our God does not leave the drama unresolved. Love came down in a stable and a cradle in Bethlehem. And we took him and nailed him to a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And Jesus, in his humiliation on that cross, totally reversed the principles and priorities of this world. And God the Father was pleased that he fully took our wrath, as Mark read in Isaiah 53. Man gave Jesus a cross, but God gave him a crown. Man gave Jesus a grave, but God gave him back his glory when he rose on the third day. Man gave Jesus anguish. But God exalted him in adoration. Man expelled Jesus, but God exalted Jesus. Man gave Jesus thorns, but God gave him a throne. Man pierced him with nails, but God gave him a name that's above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Amen? Friends, what does this teach us today? Let me go three things with you. First off, if you're not a Christian here today, we are so glad you're here. So you're always welcome here. 
But what would you like to receive from God? Is it better health or less stress or a peaceful world or, or better family? Friends, Christ isn't a cherry on top of an already wonderful life. He is life. He is life. As good as those things are, God is offering something better for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. We're all rebels against God. We deserve his condemnation. We deserve hell and judgment. But in the gospel, God offers us perfect salvation because Christ took the payment, the punishment that we deserve. That is the gift of the gospel. We deserve wrath, but he gave us compassion and mercy. God desires to give you himself. Acts 17 says he's not far from each one of us. If you're not a Christian, I would plead with you to come to Christ. See me afterwards. See Brian, our deacon of the month in the back. Talk to someone here. It's the most important decision you can make. Christian, what about you? What do you do with this treasure of knowledge that Christ shows us in, on the cross? The most important daily habit that you can have is to remind yourself of the gospel. The most important daily habit. Look. I'm all about exercise. Natalie and I are trying to exercise more. We, we get out once a week. We think it's a good thing. And, and many of you can share that sentiment. We get out and run once a week. We think we've conquered the world. But you know what? We may not exercise as much as we should. But one thing I pray that we do individually and also as a family is remind ourselves about the gospel. It's so easy, isn't it, to lose perspective. Start every day in God's word reminding yourself of the treasures that the gospel has given you and the treasures in Christ. Ask yourself each day, Christian, what has the gospel made a difference in my life today and yesterday? And what will it do today? What has the, the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for me, what will that do for me? You know, and how can we do this as a church? I think there's at least three things. We need to consider that there are people here that we should serve. Well, what would it mean for you to pray and serve people that may not be like yourself, maybe of a different background? Maybe there's also your friends and peers are here. Or, or are you strictly friends with people in this church because you're quid pro quo? In other words, you're doing service for them for something they'll do for you. You know, I, I remember a lady growing up in our church. I won't share her name, but she, she was only there to get business contacts for her business. Isn't that sad? She was there, and you could see right through. She, was, she would say the words, but you knew after service, she was going to go sign someone up for her thing because she saw a whole wealth of people, and that was the thing that she did. Are your friends with anyone who can't pay you back in this church? Are you willing to serve even when it's not convenient? I think a third thing that this teaches from this passage is people you think you should serve is, is your service cheerful? Is it patient? Think about how patient Christ was on the cross with us, that it took 2,000 plus years for him to come down, and yet, even when he did that, as Mark read, he didn't give back an utterance of insult. He didn't sin by rebelling in that way. And you know, in this world today, the idea of serving seems pretty crazy because we fear being taken advantage of. And listen, you should not be a doormat for people to walk all over you. God has created you uniquely as he has, but are you using that as an excuse not to serve people, in this church especially? Friends, your identity is secure. If you're a Christian, your identity is secure. Who are you trying to impress? Whom do you fear? Christian, Paul is calling you to imitate Christ because Christ is the one who gave his life for us. Who is it in this church that you may need to pray about serving or giving a helping hand to? Maybe even giving monetarily. Maybe you have a special blessing of money that you know someone's in need. And James would say if you sell someone to have a good day and send them on their way but don't meet their need, that it's worse than an unbeliever in some sense. 
who is it that God is calling you to serve in this church? So we have seen, first off, the cross of Christ being lifted up. Second, I want to see, lastly, as we close this out, I want you to see the proclaiming and confirmation of Christ. Look at verse 9 again, if you will, if you have your Bible open. For this reason also God has highly exalted him and bestowed or given him a name that is above every name. How many of your Bibles have the word therefore in verse 9? So your Bibles have that? Always ask that question. You've probably heard it before, but when you see a therefore, you ask the question what? What is it there for? It's therefore to tell us what's happened in the last verses. It notes the subsequent action of God the Father in light of the Son giving his life for us. Verse 9, you see that Christ received an exalted status. Christ received an exalted status. Highly exalted means to exalt above anyone else. It's, it's a super exalt. It's to put him on a level that no one can touch. No doubt Paul has in mind here Jesus' resurrection, his uh, ascension, his going back to heaven, and his session. That's a word we don't use much, but his sitting on the throne at the right hand. God brought Christ back to glory of heaven that he previously enjoyed and then took him to a higher place than ever before. Friends, we do not believe that Jesus Christ was created. You will get a knock on your door someday, if you haven't already, of people that are very well-intended people that will tell you Jesus was created so that you could have eternal life. Friends, Jesus wasn't created. He's creator. And he's the only one who secures and procures our salvation because he's the only one who is fully God and fully man. So why did God give him a name that's above every name? Because he is Lord. He's not a created one. He's not a, just a good teacher. You know, many of you have heard this before. It's so true. C.S. Lewis, that great English uh, teacher of many years gone by, he said that Jesus is either three things. You, many of you know these. He's either a liar. He was, he, man, he was pulling a fast one on you. He's a lunatic. He should have been in the crazy bin over there. Or what's the last option? He's Lord. That is a choice we have to make because the name Jesus fits the context. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Confucius, Zoroaster, Joseph Smith, Mary Eddie Baker, anyone who, who says that they were God is dead, but Jesus Christ lives on. Amen? He's received an exalted status, verse 9. But second, if we're going to have humility to see the cross for what it's worth, we need to recognize his exalted worship. Look at verse 10. At the name of Jesus every knee, not just the powerful knees or the small knees, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, literally, those who God has created and worship around his throne, the angels and the created beings, those on earth at the time when he returns, and those under earth, those who God is holding until the day of judgment when he releases final wrath. Everywhere, every place, God is Lord, especially in Jesus Christ. What a God we worship. The bowing that we have for him exalts who he is. This is Isaiah 45, 23. is quoted here. In Isaiah, it's Yahweh, the God is in view. In Philippians, it's Jesus. It's no accident that Jesus had ascribed to him, which is ascribed to the God of the Old Testament, because Jesus is God. Friends, that's going to get you in so much trouble. You believe Jesus is God. That solves everything for us, but it gets you in trouble with this world. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Nothing in all creation is outside the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ, including nine justices that sit in Washington, D.C. and try and procure laws for our land. Friends, every square inch is God's. 
R.C. Sproul, the greatest thinkers of our time, said if, if there's a maverick molecule in this earth, God is not God. There is not one thing we can't see with the naked eye or everything that we see with the naked eye that will not bow in worship of this God. Now, they will, you say, well, some will, will fight and scream. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Some people will fight and scream on that day because they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but they will bow the knee because Jesus is Lord over all. Wow. What about verse 11? He has an exalted status. He has exalted worship. He also has an exalted confession. This is the confirmation that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice that word there, every tongue. Again, notice the words in your Bible. It's not just some tongues, not just Christians, not just those like us who are believers. It is every tongue. Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin will be there. But even the man who sits in the cubicle, who lives a quiet life, that hates God to his core, but you never know it, even that man will be in that day exalting Christ. You know, back in Jesus' day, many in that day believed that Caesar was Lord. That they would walk around and do something like this, we're, we're told from historians. And they would do that. That's where we get that knock from, if you've ever heard that. They would walk around and beat that drum, and they would have an incense bowl there. And workers would just be going about their business, doing their thing, and they'd hear that. The Roman soldiers would carry this, this thing, and they would hear the knock. And they would have to pay homage that Caesar is Lord. What do you do if you're a Christian? If you throw incense into that fire and say, Caesar is Lord, you are going against the very Lord that you know to be true. And often, it costs them their lives. It costs them their jobs. It costs them everything. Because they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, do we live for Christ in that way? It is necessary that Christ should be both God and man. It was only as a man that he could die as a redeemer for us humans. And only as a sinless man that he could fiddling die for others. But it was only as God that his life, his ministry, and his redeeming death could have infinite value and satisfy the demands of God to deliver us from his wrath and for our sin. Wow, what an amazing God we serve. You know, back in the 1960s, there's a picture that's going to come up about an astronaut that's going to come up on the screen. Back in the 1960s, the Russian government, as you, many of you know, was communist. They made atheism the religion, or whatever you want to call it, of the, the, the society there. And a cosmonaut, one of the Russian astronauts, went to space and came back and said a very famous line. He said, some people say that God lives out there where I came from. I looked around, and I didn't see any God out there, end quote. Oh, and Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Bell Graham, what a wise woman she is. In a public statement, she responded to the published remark, noting that the cosmonaut was looking in the wrong place. She explained that if he would have stepped outside of his spaceship without his space suit, he would have seen God very, very quickly. And isn't that true? Friends, today, I, would, I just want to close with these three things before we get to some reflections on the decision. Christian, are you bored with God? Can I just ask you that? Are you bored with the gospel? Are you sick of us talking about this all the time? If Jesus is true, and we know he is, then boredom is a sin. We're not deficient. We're deficient, rather. He's not. Boredom is a sin so long as Christ is infinitely beautiful. And isn't he an infinitely beautiful God? Even the angels for whom the gospel is a strange mystery long to look into the deep and fascinating well of this thing called the gospel. Look at 1 Peter 1.12. You want to write that down. 
because the good news proclaims the unsearchable riches of Christ who opens the window looking out and we see the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, an endless, absorbing, and dazzlingly multifaceted God that He is. Wow. When we are bored, it is not because we have stopped looking. Uh, let me say it again. It, when we are bored, it, it can only be because we stopped looking at Jesus and, and we need to stop looking at ourselves. Friends, are you bored with God? Are you simply going through the routines? Can I challenge you again? Refresh yourself in the gospel. Go home. You say, Darren, I've been through my whole life. I could preach this sermon. You're preaching. Great. Preach it. Share it with yourself. That is your motivation for living in everything. Whether you're mowing lawns, you're working the assembly line, or you're helping your neighbors, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians, another thing I think we learned from this passage that the Philippians needed to learn, not only is Christ exalted, but do you realize that we have an obligation to worship God? Yeah, Pastor, I kind of got that one down when I stepped in here, right? We have an obligation to worship God, but think about it. Everyone worships, but the only choice we get is what we worship. You know, it's been said by a, uh, many preachers that the most idolatrous hour is on a Sunday morning because our minds are racing so many different ways that to focus on God for a short amount of time is one of the most difficult things. Many of you probably have your week planned out in this 30-minute sermon, amen? So you're looking at me like, no, it's true. Your mind wanders, friends. Your mind wanders, is it not? When Willie, my pastor, preached, and this is going to be online, so I've got to be careful here, my mind wanders sometimes. Your mind is going to wander in the sermon. But our obligation is worship, is seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. Have you considered the Bible teaches that all worship is not good? Some people say, if I just had that, my life will have meaning. I'll have value and feel significant and secure. If that's the object of your worship, then you've missed it. Friends, all of us are made as worshipers. Again, the question is, who or what do we worship? In the Gospels, you want to know another reason Jesus is God? He accepted worship. Go to Revelation and John. Uh, John sees the angel, this great, mighty, created being, and, and, and he falls down before him and tries to worship him, and the angel says, no, do not worship me. Worship him. Worship the Lamb. Worship engages our whole being, including our words. How can you and I better use our words to praise God in our homes? How can we reveal what's in our heart of praise to God, not just here on a Sunday morning, but in our gatherings here, in our prayers, in our hymns, in our conversations? Pray that our words and our worship would be focused on God and His gospel. And friends, let me just say one more note before we move on. So many people, so many people are looking for a word from God today. So many people want to see a different word than what God has given in the Bible. Let me just say this. So many look for special revelation from God while it, the Bible, sits on the shelf gathering dust. Is that not true? Pray that our congregation is marked by a hunger, a thirst, a driving passion for God and His Word. Pray that you are marked, if you're a Christian here today, by a driving passion for God and His Word. You say, I don't know where to start. We have a great Bible reading program out there. If you go straight out those doors, there's a Bible reading program. If you go to our website, towerviewkc.com, go under the resource tab. We have four different verses. You say, man, it's going to be, it's halfway through the year, Darren, on Wednesday, July 1st. Do you know you can pick up the Bible pro reading program at any point of any time? Isn't that the great thing? You may have lost your New Year's resolution on January 3rd, but praise God, Bible reading programs are 365, 
all the time. Maybe you need to consider where you're at with that. Pray that we are marked by hope. Pray that we are marked by joy. Because friends, it goes back to what I said, the big idea is the less we are unimpressed with the cross, the more we're impressed with ourselves. And that is a complete picture of what America is about today. We live in a country of self-reliance. Pull me up by my bootstraps. And there's a thing about hard work and we should work hard for God's glory, but be careful that your hard work doesn't turn into an idol in your life. Christ humbled himself. Where's God humbling you in your life and where do you need that wisdom? Let me give you five reasons before we go. That's the sermon in a nutshell, 35 minutes of a nutshell. Let me give you some reasons. Megan, if you want to throw these up on the screen, if you can, I think you can. Yes, thank you. You've done that. My screen's out today. That's why I'm saying that. I'm going to email out to you today. Many of you know the Supreme Court made a decision on Friday. Uh, if you have not heard, marriage is now defined as basically anyone marrying anyone. That's a whole Pandora's box waiting to be open. Friends, do not be scared of this. We live in a land of the free, yes, but you live. A, you have a God that's sovereign. Amen? You have a God that's over all. What should we do? I, I came up with five. If you're on Facebook, some of you have seen this posted already. Uh, I reflected on these on a personal blog of mine. But I want you to remember that all true Christians are to work for supernatural change in every context. Friends, that decision on Friday didn't change or add to any work that we have. The work has always been God's work. Do you realize that? It's always been a supernatural change. We can enact all the laws we want, but it's a spiritual problem this nation has because people don't understand the Jesus that we just talked about. Would you pray that God would sovereignly work in the hearts of people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ? Gay, straight, transvestite, LGBT, pray for them. Just as you pray for that person, anybody who you don't know. Recent changes have made our work 0% harder because it's all God's work, but he trusts us with that work. See, Darren, it's a tougher landscape. Yes, it is. That's number two. You have heard me talk about this. We looked at it in Philippians 1. Persecution is a normal experience of a Christian life. Is that not true? Jesus said that we would have ostracized people. We would have slandered people. We would be hated for his name. Go read John 16. It's all there. Friends, if you're a Christian, it's going to get harder. It's going to be socially harder. People are going to ask you, you go to church, what do you think about this decision? People are going to ask, if you, especially if you have an office job, people are going to be around the water cooler or whatever you have talking about this on Monday morning. People are going to be doing that all the time. But I want you to remember that we're not to play the victim card here. Friends, we have been told from the very beginning that we would suffer for the name of Christ. Don't we? But in that suffering, God can use it for the greatest advance of the gospel. Uh, Marty, I'm a, I, I think of your comment. It, it's something that's very good. At the men's dinner last night, Marty noted very clearly and articulately that the Church of China, if you know anything about the Church of China, it's one of the fastest growing and most well-founded churches in, in the world. But they live in communism, don't they? They have persecution coming all the time. There was a video two weeks ago of a church being burned down literally on state TV while Christians outside were tearing up. But the gospel goes forth. Friends, God is using this as an opportunity for the gospel to be clearer and clearer. Shore yourself up. Do you know the gospel? Look online. Look in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. But know it's a normal part of the Christian experience. Third thing I would say is this. Remember to trust that God is sovereign and not human situation. Man, if every time we looked at a human situation without God in the picture, I'd be a depressed man, wouldn't you? 
friends, this is a terrible thing that's happened, and God will repay someday this decision that's been made. But we must remember that we are not bound in the sense that God is not in control of this. Did this surprise God? Did God wake up from his nap and say, oh, man, what just happened here today? No, that's ludicrous. God knows everything. He sees past, present, and future. There's one eternal now moment. He's God over all. He's sovereign. And Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in him with all our heart, and he will lead our paths. Friends, pray to him, trust him. He will see us through this time. He's faithful. And remember, all that we have, number four, is of God's grace. Everything we have. Anything less than hell and judgment for us as Christians is a good day. Amen? Think about that. We deserve God's hellfire, but God has given us his grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And now it's our turn to even more lovingly share that grace with others. Friends, I'm not saying that we should be passive. Please do not hear me. Go read 1 Peter 3.15. We are to boldly stand on the word, but do it with all respect, with all humility, with all courageousness, and all boldness at the same time. You say, how does all that work together? Pray, 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 and pray again. But God is the ultimate victor. There was a phrase going across social media that says love has won or love wins. Friends, you know what? Love won at the cross. Because Jesus Christ gave his life for us while we were yet sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If God is not sovereign over everything, he's not sovereign over anything. God knew this would happen. Didn't surprise him. He's not a fickle God. He knows what's there. Friends, I think part of the reason this happened in some ways is God is refining the church of America. He's taking us from complacency and comfort that a lot of us have into a more serious contention. And you're going to see people who claim the name of Christ walk out of church doors because we stand on God's word. You will see that. But we are going to love them. We're going to pray for them. And we are going to stand on them. Friends, they are not the enemy. We have enemies but friends, we are praying for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Is that our goal? And let me be very clear. We believe that marriage is between one man, one woman, for a lifetime built on the word of God. Amen? And I want you to know that your leadership team, in conjunction with some writing, we have shored up our marriage policy to make that very clear. We have documentation in place. But the one thing we must continue to do is to pray, pray, pray. Share, share, share. Love, love, love with humility, respect, with boldness and courageousness. Friends, I know it's not easy. We're walking this with you. I know this is not easy. And we're going to be challenged. This church will be challenged. You will be challenged at your homes. Christmas is six months from now, but you better believe this is going to come up. Fourth of July is right around the corner. The timing of this couldn't be any more coincidental, could it? Right before a holiday happens, friends, we have freedom in Jesus Christ. Many of you know gay, homosexual people. They, friends, they need Christ just as much as the drunkard in the streets of Westport, just as much as the murderer on death row, because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Jesus showed us the ultimate role model, didn't he? But he also showed us the greatest sacrifice of himself. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I don't have great words of wisdom this morning. In fact, Father, it's, it's a tough issue, but Lord, we thank you that your son is Lord over all. He saw all. He knows all. He continues to, to be all, Lord, but we just pray. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for clear wisdom to love, but share the gospel at the same time. Lord, that's a unique mix that only your spirit can give us. Help us not to be fleshly about it, 
Father, we should be righteously angry, but Father, trusting you at the same time. Lord, you tell us to respect our government except in the ways that it contradicts you. So Lord, we stand firmly on your word, but we stand with conviction, we stand with compassion, and we stand with all boldness because we know that's exactly what you did. While we were sinners and threw it in your face, you came down to earth. Father, please help us not to be passive on this issue, but Lord, help us to remember that it's your gospel that will change this nation, not politics, not laws. Lord, it is your gospel primarily that informs those things because you are the source of all things. Lord, thank you so much for this congregation. Give us great wisdom. Give each worker in here that goes to a job or each grandparent who's whatever it is, Lord, we each are going to see it. It's, it's all over the place. Help us to have great wisdom as we go forward. Lord, you are good and great, and we love you so much. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.